Hello, this is Yaro Stark from the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast, and welcome to another special interview. My guest on the call today is Thomas Smale, who actually uh, said hello to me via email. And you may recall, if you've been following my podcast from back in, I think it was May of 2012, I interviewed a, a gentleman named Ian McConnell, who sold his uh, hobby train, model train business for um, $300,000. It was a popular interview, just a great story of a guy selling his hobby site. And the person he used as a broker to sell his site was Thomas, Thomas Mayo, my guest for today. So thank you, Thomas, for joining me. Yeah, thanks very much for having me on. So uh, Thomas, as you can no doubt tell, is, is in the UK, and he is a broker who works for Flipping Enterprises, and what we were talking about before we started the call is some of the numbers we could, we're allowed to say about how much volume uh, you do. So you said last year you, you did around about $5 million in brokered sales of websites, and you were mentioning yeah. some of that was on Flippa, some of that was outside of Flippa. Yeah, so I mean, the majority of our business now is outside of Flipper. It was around five million. I mean, depending on how you look at the deals, because sometimes in the industry you'll do co-broker deals, so you work with other brokers and you split the commissions. So the volume you do yourself is quite hard to determine. Um, Flipper, we did a lot in 2011. We were the top sellers over there with about 1.3 million in sales. Um, but more recently, we've moved over to a little bit more established private buyers, um, we have less need for the public marketplaces. So it's kind of grown organically. Right. And that's something I really like to talk about. So obviously, the subject of this interview is very much on buying and selling websites, uh, in particular with using a broker. But Thomas has a lot of experience in selling. So it'd be great to hear about not just, you know, flip as an option, but there's other places too. So I'd like to dive into all of that. But can we begin, Thomas, by you explaining how you got into the world of brokering websites? Yeah, okay, so back at university when I was, what, 21, 22, I was looking for some ways to make some extra cash, and at the time I came across eBay, and I thought, I didn't know anything about technical things, but I always liked the idea of running my own business, so I, I, I think I bought my first website for a few dollars, got completely ripped off and screwed over, and I thought, well, not being one to give up that easily, I thought, well, I'm going to have a look around, do a bit more research. And at the time, I found SitePoint, which is the the old version of Flipper, effectively, and found that you could buy sites on there. So I, I bought my first site. I can't remember exactly what it was for, $100 or around that number. I played around with it for a bit, realized that at the time, there was quite a good market for flipping sites. So I was buying small sites, doing a little bit of work in it, and selling it for a few hundred profit, which at the time was not a lot of money, but I mean, it was... It was beer money. It gave me the chance to um, bit more, be a bit more financially free. Um, and then from there, I did that for six months, a year. But it began to be quite profitable. Then I released a ebook on flipping sites, which did quite well. And from there, I, all the time, I was still flipping my own sites. And people, I, I fell into brokerage by accident. One of the, the people who bought the book said, oh, it's it's a great course, but I just don't have time. Would you be willing to sell the site for me? It's never something I'd even considered before. And I thought, well, yeah, I'll do that. Mm. So I did it. At the time, I just listed up on Flipper, sold the site for him. The deal went well. And I thought, well, being a student, when you're relying on cash flow, whilst flipping sites was great, the cash flow wasn't necessarily that consistent. Whereas brokering meant that I could get a steady paycheck consistently selling sites. And then, and then it kind of built up from there, just by accident and through referrals. Okay. So I fell into it off the back of the course, now, and then people just started approaching me. So, okay, before we dive into the brokering, I am, I'm curious about even just the flipping you did in the early days. Did you have a strategy that you followed by someone else? Like, did you pick certain websites of a certain subject matter or a certain format? Like, how did you work something out that allowed you to have at least beer money? I don't know what that is. Is that 500 bucks a month or 200 bucks a month? Yeah, or? yeah. A thousand a month or something like that. Okay. Um, I mean, at the time, I didn't, I didn't read any courses or anything like that. I'm not really one for um, buying courses. I, I do read a lot, but it was mainly just through trial and error. I probably spent a year until I kind of perfected it. But at the time, I was buying, it's probably not so effective now, but I was buying service sites that would sell either a product or 
a product or a service, and then I was finding easy ways to sell the product. So, for example, I remember buying a, a traffic reseller site. I think it was $50 on SitePoint, and I realized you could go over to Digital Point Forums at the time, and you could resell that traffic. So what I would do is I'd go over to Digital Point, sell $200 worth of traffic in a week, and then I would sell the site for $500 or something like that. So my strategy was find any site that I could make a bit of quick money with, prove the concept, um, and then sell it. So when you mean you a traffic reselling website, you mean a site that someone would come to and give $50 and you would guarantee a certain amount of traffic? Yeah, so it was the kind of site when you'd buy, you'd pay, I don't know, $10 and you'd get 5,000 hits. Did that site come with the system for getting that traffic? or it would... Yeah, it did. So that, that would be one of the important things, would be getting like a system in place. Because like I said, I'm, I'm not technical, so I needed a site that was up and running, which it was, and it already had the supplier in place. So all I had to do was go and find somewhere to, to sell, which is just a concept that still works today. All you need is if you can find a site with a supplier, whether it's a service, a dropshipping site, a product, if you can then if you can buy it cheaply and you know where to sell the products or service, then you can you can do quite well mm. and get quite a good return. Can you give some other examples? Because I think some people might be confused with that traffic idea. But if you said, you know, I was reselling <coughs> bookkeeping services and I knew where to go get new bookkeeping clients and, and ramp up the income and then flip the website, that kind of makes sense. Are there any other examples? Yeah, so I mean, nowadays, like if you had an SEO service, for example, you might have been able to sell... For example, now you could you could buy a site that might have been reselling services from Fiverr, which I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with, where people might sell, I don't know, 5,000 Facebook fans for $5. And you could set up a site or buy a site that sells Facebook fans for $20. So you've got a nice little markup there. Um, so any site where you've got a product or a service with some decent margins and you can find places to sell it. So I found that, that webmaster sites were anything related to webmasters, internet marketers was a good place to start just because you've got an instant market. Mm. There were lots of big forums out there, um, lots of blogs. There were always people willing to promote products. Um, so that seemed to be uh, the best way to start. Okay. But well, I mean, it can apply in lots of different niches. So can you give us two, two more examples from back in the day that you actually did? Um, so another one I did, this was a little bit different. I found a guy who was selling Facebook apps, which back in the, back in the day were quite, quite popular. So what I did is I set up a small store selling these Facebook apps. So I bought the rights to a number of apps. I think he had five, listed them all in my store, and then I would just sell individual licenses to the apps. So I effectively created my own app store. Um, so you had to get good at being both a supplier and drumming up demand for it, but you bought the sites that already had, I guess, the product or the service ready to sell. Yeah, so I effectively found a, found a reliable supplier who would supply it at a, at a good level and then found like different places to sell, whether it be forums or Flipper or mm -hmm. wherever. So you might have gone to, to SitePoint back then and you saw an, a Facebook app site that sold certain apps and you also had a guy you knew who was, who was a creator of apps and, and reselling rights to them. So you bought the rights off him, put them into that site you bought off SitePoint as created a, a little store and then went to a bunch of forums and say, hey, I've got these apps for sale. Do you want to go buy them? So that roughly, you know, yeah, obviously. Right. Yeah, it, it was kind of, it wasn't like a particularly good system at the time. It worked, but it wasn't particularly organized. It was more young kid hustling, trying to do whatever he could to, to cash. So it was very much opportunities as they came rather than a very strict system. So from that, you learned, no doubt, some great skills on negotiating deals in terms of buying and selling websites. Because it sounded like you, you were doing it quick, right? Like you'd only have a site for three or four months. Sort of would that be yeah, about well, right? I, I used to do most of the time was I, I got a credit card. And I had to get it interest-free. I had to pay it off within a month. So what I would do is I'd challenge myself at the beginning of the month to max out the credit card and then pay it off by the end, which seemed to be quite a good way to go. Um, <laughs> a bit scary. That was a month. Yeah, it was a little bit scary, but it, it gave me that incentive I needed to actually get out there and 
get out there and hustle. Um, okay. Yeah, so it was maybe a month, occasionally three months, depending on the size. I mean, nowadays, if I'm if I'm doing sites, I'll be buying in the maybe five, six figure range, and it might take six months to a year. Whereas on the lower end, you might be able to turn it around in a week or two weeks. So how many sites do you think you bought and sold back then? I was probably buying three or four a month and then selling maybe five or six. Really, it, it really depends. It would vary. Like one month I might have just worked on one site. There might have been a couple of thousand. Another month I might have bought, someone might have been running a fire sale. They might have sold 10 sites for $300 and I might have bought them and sold them each separately for a profit. Um, so it probably would have been 50 to 100 over the course of the year, but okay. all, all relatively small. Right, so you really cut your teeth, so to speak, got your skills up by doing lots of little deals and, and learning to build lots of different types of websites by the sounds of things, which is... Yeah, it was very much just building up that skill set from nothing, so getting used to dealing with lots of different sites, lots of different people, um, lots of different technologies, lots of different products, lots of different niches, um, which is very much a transferable skill when it comes to brokering. Um, so yeah, it was very important at the time for me to get all that, that wide range of deal experience, even if it was small, mm. it's still effectively the same process. Right. It's, it's why you're a broker now. I'd say you, you built up your skill base. So when it came to creating this ebook, you said you obviously felt like you had had enough experience by that stage that there was stuff to go into an ebook. You had content, some sort of knowledge to share. Could you give us a highlight reel of what that ebook was about? Yes, I mean, at the time, where I was buying most of my sites, I started on SitePoint, and then I found that Digital Point has a site for sale section, and that was the best place I found for picking up bargain sites. So I used to be able to find cheap service sites, or like I said, you might find a fire sale where someone's selling 10 sites for $300, just because they couldn't be bothered or didn't have the time or the inclination to sell them separately. So you might be able to buy 10 sites for thirty dollars and then go and sell them for sixty. And while that doesn't sound like much, if it takes you twenty minutes to relist each site, you're still making three hundred dollars profit. Um so yeah, at the time it was all about buying cheaply and then reselling it for a profit on Flipper. Which was a bit more viable back then. I think Flipper wasn't quite as popular. Digital point is a bit of a minefield when it comes to buying. It's not the easiest place in the world. Um, so yeah, that I mean that was the the, the general overview was okay. buy cheap and be opportunist. So look for good deals, look for opportunities that maybe other people aren't jumping on, and then resell in a marketplace that's not necessarily used to that. So it's all about being a bit bit unique as well. Yep. So I think I was the first person to ever sell a Facebook app on Flipper, for example. Right. Whereas if you just jump on the boat and copy what everyone else is doing, then it's a little bit harder to get ahead. It does sound like you're good at finding, I guess, weaknesses in the system almost or, or areas that really weren't that crowded. So you, you knew that Flippa or a site point, whatever, at the time, people knew about these sorts of sites. They didn't get as much money. But if you jumped onto a marketplace that wasn't as exposed to them, what you had appeared more unique so you could get more money for it. Yeah, exactly. So it was effectively an arbitrage model, except you were finding, yeah, a less exposed or an opportunity that other people wouldn't see. Mm. So, so for example, the 10 sites for $300, other people might look at that as a lot of hassle. I would look at that as a good opportunity to um, resell it for a profit. Right. And, and that's certainly a viable model today. In fact, one of the ways you might flip that around, I think, today, and I'm sure you'll talk about this when we talk about brokering, it would be find sites to buy that are not on any of the marketplaces and then take them to other places. So find sites that maybe people aren't even thinking about selling, come to them with an offer, you know how to improve the site and then take it to a, a, a type of buyer who specializes in that sort of site or something so they're willing to pay more money. Yeah, absolutely. That works really well. I mean, I, I now experience, I guess, flipping on the slightly higher end where people, instead of buying on a really low-end marketplace and then selling on somewhere like Flipper, they might buy privately or buy on Flipper and then sell through me as a broker. So mm. the model does work on a higher end. It's just slightly different. But the I mean, the principles are still the same. Right. You've got to be able to 
spotting opportunities and closing deals is the the main thing. What's the biggest deal you've done since then? Because obviously you did a hundred dollar website back in the start, and now you're doing like. Um, yeah, we've got a, a two million deal that's in the process of going through at the moment. We've done quite a few in the six seven hundred range at the back end of last year. Okay, so um, our, our range really really varies though. We do anything from ten thousand up to two million. That must have been a, you know, a, a growth experience, and I'd like to, to sort of continue your story because it, it's a bit of a change from going to from a hustler for small websites, you buy them for three hundred bucks and break them into part and sell them for maybe a grand, to suddenly, you know, being in charge of a two hundred thousand dollar website deal. That's that's a whole different kettle of fish. So, take us forward. You released the ebook then a person came to you and said listen i want to hire you as a broker now you've never been a broker before so what like did you have to learn how to do it or did you again just trial and error your way through it yeah i mean so at the time i think the biggest site i'd sold myself i don't remember the exact number but it was definitely under five figures and this guy had a site that i believe i sold it for eighteen thousand in the end so it wasn't a massive site but it was bigger than anything i'd done before and I, I was quite honest with him. I charged him a percentage. I listed it on Flipper. I walked him through the whole process. Um, so that was like quite a small jump. I could use the same processes. And then from there, I got a couple more low five-figure deals. And then I think, I, I guess my big break came back in was it March 2011, where someone approached me with a with a site that I ended up selling on Flipper for 300000 So that was the first six-figure deal I ever did, which, again, I kind of fell into by accident. It was, it was a referral. I, hadn't, I wasn't going out, out there proactively seeking large deals. And once that, once that big deal had gone through, I thought, hang on a second, this, this should and could be my full-time business rather than selling, buying and selling sites for a couple of hundred dollars and flipping them for 1000 it made far more sense to sell something for three hundred thousand and take a percentage. Right. Like how much does a broker normally keep? Um, so it, depending on the size, it'd be anywhere from ten to fifteen percent. So if you do a three hundred thousand dollars sale, you, you're going to make thirty grand. Yeah, that was yeah, that was thirty thousand in commission. I think minus the flipper fees at the time. But I mean, still, when when you're relatively new to the industry, that's still quite a lot of money. Um, well, I think it's still quite a lot of money for a lot of people listening to this call. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. That gave, that gave me the opportunity to go from like two of us working out of our our bedrooms to like a formal company having staff having an office which is where I am today so I was very conscious to invest that back into infrastructure um, rather than on a flashy new car or something like that so so yeah was there a switch there because you sounds like you were kind of playing it by ear and deals were just coming to you because you you had connections and one person was referring you to a next but then you realize you've got enough money that this can be your full-time business. You, you sounds like you have. A, is it a partner you had originally there, or was that just an employee? Yeah, so I had an original business partner who I don't actually work with anymore. But I mean, at the time we we were working together. I mean, when I did that first deal, I don't even think we had a website. So it, it got to the stage where, when the first couple of smaller deals went through, like the eighteen thousand, that that was okay, but that wasn't quite enough to get it all down on paper, get an office, get some staff. So I did that first big deal, got it closed out, and then kind of went from there. So you must have started being a bit more proactive than trying to get clients because if you're hiring people, you, you need to see a deal flow coming through. New websites always coming and approaching you, right? Yeah, so what I would do is I, I outsource the sites we already own to my staff, and I would still buy some sites for cash flow for them to manage. And then I would go out there um, mainly through referrals. And I, I used to get quite a lot of business through forums, um, blogs. And it, it, to be honest, it grows quite quickly. If you do a good job and you're honest with people, then it does build up quite quickly. But once we had a website in place, admittedly it wasn't a particularly good website. It was more of a placeholder. But people could at least sign up to a buyer list. They could see our listings. Flipper started interviewing me a bit on their blog. Um, so you get some exposure. Mm. Um, and, and as a broker, you really don't need to do that many deals to be profitable. It's not like you have to sell three or four sites a week. You can do a couple of five, six-figure sites a month, and you're doing quite well. Right. Um, 
course, you're here on another interview and someone could be listening who has a, a website they don't want anymore and they'll get in touch with you after listening to this call. So it is a great, it's a growing industry, isn't it? It really is a, um, a, a, a place to be as a, a broker. I think, you know, it's a great market. So I, let's look at this now. Obviously, you're, you're well and truly running uh, Flipping Enterprises is the actual name of your company. And that's it's flippingenterprises.com for the website. Where I've had a look through. You've got some websites already listing for sale. You've got a form you can fill out if you want to approach you to potentially hire you as a broker to sell your own website. So can we look at some pros and cons about why someone would want to use a broker as opposed to doing it themselves? Yeah, so I had a little think about this. And it, it does, I mean, hiring a broker... The, the first thing I'd say, and the, and the reason that I think the business has grown through referrals and, and interviews is it, it's not like buying a product off the shelf for $50. It's very much a relationship you have with your broker. You need to trust your broker. Um, so it, it really depends on the person. But then if you go into some of the reasons you might hire a broker, this won't necessarily apply to everyone. But if you've got a site, firstly, I would say that you need a site that's big enough to justify hiring a broker and I think I mentioned earlier the smallest we do is $10,000 I know some other brokers who might not do anything below 50000 or 100000 Okay, so let me just so, stop, stop you there though Thomas so let's say 10000 is your minimum how do you determine whether like if I have a site right now how do I determine whether I, I can get 10000 for it and, and potentially approach you to sell it yeah, so I mean, as a very rough rule of thumb, I mean, valuation is a whole different story. But I, I generally say if you've got a site making at least $500 a month in profit, then it's worth at least approaching me. Um, and I can only say no, or at least point you in the right direction. So I'd say, yeah, $500 a month would be And that's the profit, end. right? Not revenue. That's, that's yeah, profit, money. yeah. Okay. okay, keep going. Yeah, so, so from there, I mean... One of the reasons people might hire a broker is you've I've obviously got a lot of transaction experience, and I've got a lot of experience. I mean, I like I said, I started from nothing, so I was starting with small sites that were selling for a couple of dollars, then a hundred dollars, then twenty thousand, three hundred thousand, a couple of million. So you've got the real range of transaction experience, and unless you're you're brokering or doing this for a living, most people aren't going to sell more than a couple of sites a year. So that's one thing you get straight away. You can tap into the experience across a number of niches, um, different verticals, different platforms. Um, and then obviously brokers have buyers on their books. They've got buyers they've worked with before. Um, and, and there's a couple of advantages that string off that. You've then got the trust factor. So this works on from the sell side and the buy side. So a buyer is generally more likely to trust a deal going through a broker especially if you've got a good reputation just because for me to take on a deal i'm putting my reputation on the line and and people know that brokers aren't going to throw away their reputation over a deal um and then you've got safety is another element you, i mean you can learn about it there are ways to protect yourself using contracts and escrow.com um but, but you find that if you've never done it before there are a lot of red flags that you can you could read about but i might pick up instantly but if you if you've never done it before you, you might not pick it up on it straight away so there might be i don't know certain scams or certain things that people do to reverse engineer information that i might pick up that you might not um another thing that is really important that people don't think about especially on the the higher end is the emotional attachment that entrepreneurs have to their businesses. So you find that, I mean, it's difficult being a broker because I spend a lot of my time saying no to people. Um, and it, I'm very much there to manage expectations. So a lot of people go try sell their business themselves, but they'll overvalue it or they won't let go. They won't negotiate on certain points and they end up losing a deal just because they're emotionally attached. So part of my job is to get the, the seller to have a, a realistic expectation. Um, and then I guess one of the last points on the list is time. So obviously if you use a broker, I'm going to get a prospectus prepared for every business that might be 20 pages and that takes time and that I've got a process in, in place to do that. 
And if you've never done one before, it might take you significantly longer. Um, and then I've obviously got a process to get the, the business to market, to negotiate, to close a contract, to get escrow done. So you, you've got all of that. Um, so, I mean, the advantages are very much subjective. It, it really depends what you're doing. I mean, I've, I've, I've got clients who have sold plenty of sites themselves, and they might say, hey, Thomas, look, I've got this site. It's, it's worth about 20000 but I just don't have time. Can you sell it for me? Um, so, so that works. Mm-hmm. On the reason why you wouldn't hire a broker, if you think you're going to sell sites regularly, then one of the things about hiring a broker is you obviously won't learn the process yourself. You'll, you'll get an indication, but if you hired me, you wouldn't see everything I'm doing. So you'd miss out on a little bit of experience in there. And it's obviously a good skill to have if you know how to sell your own business. Um, then you can repeat that over and over. A lot of people would be sort of thinking there's two sides that you have to pay a broker 10 to 15% of your margin to, to hire yeah. someone to do it, which you're paying for a service. I think the prospectus and the connections and negotiation skills and all that is, is highly valued. And the assumption here is that you then have two specific outcomes you can get a higher price than i could and you can much more likely close a deal because you can go to more places more buyers and have a better buying package so it's just more likely that you'll make the sale than i will that's really the main the reasons to use a broker right that's another way i pitch it similar to hiring a good accountant you're going to save more money than you're going to spend on the accountant and the same with hiring a good broker you would expect to get them to get I mean, especially 10, 15% in, in terms of a, a sale, it's not that big. So you might have a site that you could sell for 200,000, which is obviously a lot of money, but I might sell it for you for 250,000. And then if you pay me 10%, you're still 25,000 up on where you would have been. So yeah, the main thing there is, is, is uh, the value of it, I guess. Okay, now I, I don't want you to give away all your secrets, Thomas, but you're, you, I will encourage you to do so. <laughs> what do you do to help a site sell for more than the average person could get? Is, is there some way of packaging the site or a certain type of buyer you go for? Or are you just a better negotiator? How, how does it get a higher price? I mean, a lot of it is down to reputation. Like I said, people like using a broker for the safety side and the trust side. And if a, a buyer and a seller trust the process more than they're more likely to pay more the, the second thing is like i said just like time and having a good process in place so if you buy a site through us or sell a site for us we prepare a prospectus that averages about 20 pages long about the business and i think from a buyer perspective if you've got a 20 page prospectus it's a lot better than a um like a scammy looking sales copy that someone's written on flipper and a couple of screenshots so Having that, that, that formal process in place and having the reputation, but obviously for, for the average person, that's not necessarily something you can, you can replicate. But I think the main thing is just being honest, trustworthy, having, having a good reputation and like kind of sticking to your word. Mm. Being transparent is very important. Negotiating is important, but I mean, something I, I, I say to clients all the time, and this is something that a lot of people don't think about, is that brokering when selling a business isn't necessarily about getting the highest price it's about getting the best deal so you, you might find let's say you had a site that was let's value it at fifty thousand dollars and you might have one buyer who's offered fifty thousand and one who's offered forty five thousand and the buyer who's offered fifty thousand has never bought a business before they don't have it all in cash so they want to finance an element of it and then the $45,000 buyer has done a lot of deals before. They know the industry. They're basically going to take the site off you and you're never going to hear from them again. So in that respect, it can also be quite subjective. So uh, that's where I would advise clients on where to take the best deal. So it's not necessarily about negotiating the highest price. It's no. about negotiating a deal that works I mean, best I- I've, I've sold a few sites and I, one particular sale comes to mind that I had a buyer that just sucked a lot of my time post-purchase. Um, I'm, I'm thinking even with uh, using a broker, you've got, you just got your crossing your T's and dotting your I's done really well. So everything is tight. The contracts are better. 
you know, you got systems and documentation in place and a person to communicate with who's like a negotiator. So it's that like it sounds to me the way you answer that question. There are no ninja techniques for getting a higher price or doing a better deal. It's just being more professional about all the whole process because that's what you guys do month after month where I might be selling one site my entire life or maybe once every two or three years or something like that. So it just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, there's definitely no like like special secrets. It's it's not an easy process. It's probably not quite as easy as it sounds. Like you've got to have the experience. But I mean, a lot of it is just about being honest with people, being transparent and, and just working out a deal that works for both parties. I think a lot of people, when I'm going back to the not having the emotional attachment one of the reasons it's good to have a broker is you've got a relatively impartial third party who wants to get a deal that's going to work for both sides so for my side i would i'd like to see buyers who get a good deal and then come back and i like to get sellers who get a good deal and then come back so it's important for me for both sides to win and then, and then that works best around like you said the worst thing you want especially if you're a busy entrepreneur or you're selling because you're retiring or whatever the last thing you want is a buyer who's going to be calling you at two in the morning for the next six months so it's very important to to get a deal done honestly and if you do if you do it honestly and properly and you haven't lied about anything you, you haven't oversold it then you're just not going to have any hassle after mm. the sale and okay. it makes it a lot easier I've got two subjects I'd like to cover still with you. And if we can get a little bit more practical in, in the details. Now, you mentioned earlier valuations, a bit of a, a subjective tool. Could could you tell me what you look at in terms of the variables? And even using an example, I know you can't mention names, but if, if you know, the, the size of a site and the, you know, the traffic it had and how much money it was making, and even if you can say what industry it was in and how you came to determine a value, just something to make this really tangible. Because it, it's the biggest question, I think, for everyone is, how much is my website worth? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely the most common question I get asked. And, and just looking at industry blogs, forums in general, it's probably one of the most common questions out there. Um, it's, I mean, every broker has a, has a different way of doing it, and I don't think there's a right way of doing it. The, I mean, the old cliche is a business is only worth what someone's willing to pay. Um, so off that, if if you kind of extrapolate that cliche, I a, a lot of the way I value businesses now is based on the deals I've done. So I've obviously got a lot of data on multiples that sites sell for and, and different variables. And then over time, I've kind of built up whether it be in my head or in a like on a document, different variables either increase or decrease a, a, a multiple. So what I was I was discussing this with someone the other day actually, and I I said to them what I do. And this is assuming the site's established. The model valuation model as you go for sites below twenty thousand probably doesn't work quite as well, just because you tend to get sites that go for they might make thirty dollars a month and they'll sell for a multiple of five years but I mean that's not I ignore sub 20k for the purpose of valuation okay. um, so what I do is I start at a multiple of two years net income or 24 months whichever way you want to look at it um, so when I say net income I'm talking after costs not necessarily after paying yourself but after you've bought if you've got stock you bought stock after paying your your server costs after paying your AdWords, after paying your virtual assistant, after paying your SEO. So I, t I take a base of two times net income, and that would be a very broad average for the industry. And then some variables that might increase that. So a site that is very hands-off and has a lot of history. And when I say a lot of history, I'm talking about three years of stable preferably growing trading history. Um, a business that is hands-off. People in the industry like to talk about passive businesses, which don't really exist. It's kind of a bit of a, um, a myth. But So recently I did a deal that sold for 700000 and that site was making 350000 a year. So it sold for almost exactly two times net income. And one of the, the good things about that business is the owner didn't really do any work in it. He had a full-time member of staff who basically did everything. She ran it. All he did was pay the AdWords costs, 
check the sales. So it was very much hands off. So that was a business that could go around the two times multiple. And and that's going back to the whole um, which deal do you accept? So this guy ended up taking a cash offer at 700000 from a very experienced buyer. And while I would look at that business because it's quite hands-off, had some history, then it might go above two times. It was established that that was a better offer. The guy wanted to move on. Hmm. Um, and then things that lower the multiple, there's a lot in here. So, Just to stop le- you before, you, before yeah. you go with that list, Thomas, I am curious because that sounds, that example, if 350 net, so that's 350 after taking out expenses or before taking out expenses, just to be clear. Yeah, after expenses. Okay, so it's so it's three hundred fifty grand in the bank at the end of a year or total for a year, and he's taken an offer up two times that, so he could make that money just running the business, letting it run for two years, uh, theoretically, anyway, assuming things continued as they were. It sounds like almost like a that's an undervaluation because if you look at some of these you know dot com startups and things like that, if if it's a business making three hundred fifty thousand a year in profit, it, it's like getting a, a ten times multiple often, you know when people are raising venture capital or something like that. So that would go for like three million dollars as opposed to seven hundred thousand. Of course, that's for investing, not necessarily buying it, but it seems like a big difference there. Yeah, I'd say one of the things there, I mean, if you look at like the kind of things a VC would invest in, they would invest in a business that has potentially explosive growth and has the ability to scale massively. This, this particular business had quite a few years of trading at that level. So it was relatively likely that in the next year it would do the same number again. There wasn't really, I mean, there was room for growth, but that was very much an unknown variable. Um, and another thing was th- this guy, it's where it becomes very subjective. So a-, a good deal for one person isn't necessarily a good deal for someone else. Mm. This guy had another business elsewhere and he was looking to raise cash for it. In the current economy, you obviously can't walk into your bank and borrow $700,000. Um, so a cash offer of 700000 allowed him to invest elsewhere. Mm. And if you've got his other business might have been making four times as much profit and growing could have been tripling in size every year. So in that situation, it becomes a good deal. But if you've got a large portfolio of passive businesses, then it might not be the best deal in the world. Mm. So it, you can't always look at a deal in terms of Straight the numbers. absolute sold for. It, you've really got to look at it in, in context. Yeah, I can see that because it sounds to me like you got the buyer a great deal because he can just let it sit there and have that employee run it, assuming nothing breaks down. And they don't quit on him or anything like that, and he can make his money back in two years, and be making three hundred grand a year after that. So that's a pretty good turnaround. Um, and for the seller, like you said, it's a, a situational kind of uh, condition. He wanted to get cash. He got cash in hand for another business right then and there. So it didn't have to wait. Didn't have to negotiate. So it's just situational. Anyway, yes. Win-win deals. Yeah. Okay. So you were saying there was lots of things that can be detrimental that reduces the value of a site, and you were going to list some things out. Yeah. So this is where, especially as you get smaller businesses, I would say for businesses that have less history, so anything with less than a year of history is highly unlikely to sell for a two times multiple. Um, so anything, anything below the the more you drop below two years, the lower the multiple goes. There isn't really a mathematical formula, but you might say that if, if the site's a year old, it might only go for a year of income. Um, so one of the other things that would negatively affect valuation is traffic sources. In the last year, Google have obviously done a lot of shake-ups, a lot of updates. So you see a lot of sites that were previously doing really well got hit by updates. So if you've got a site that relies entirely on Google traffic, especially if it's um, one particular keyword, then buyers would perceive that as quite high risk, so the multiple would reduce. Um, Another thing is legal and trademark issues. You quite often get domains that have trademark issues, Um, and while most of the time you trademark holders might ignore it or you can get away with it, or that's still something that increases the risk. So multiples of that might be significantly lower than two times. Um, 
businesses with with a revenue source that's seasonal, that's something that definitely reduces multiples. So we're looking at an e-commerce business at the moment that does literally 80% of its sales in December. And while that that could be quite consistent, it's obviously very difficult for someone to spend a two times yearly multiple, knowing they have to wait to December to make back um, most of their income. So any so a site that's inconsistent, a site that's dropping in income, that's definitely something that you're going to lose your multiple a bit there. So if you did, I don't know, 100,000 in 2011, and then you did 50,000 in 2012, and then January 2013 is looking slow, then multiple-wise, that's really where you start getting rock bottom. Um, so, yeah, traffic sources is, is one. Revenue source. So if you've got a single product that might not necessarily have a very long life cycle. So, for example, if you look in the internet marketing niche, you might have a product and the life cycle on that might be literally a month. It might do really well, do 100,000 in gross sales from JVs and affiliates, and then it will die down to almost nothing. But then you might have a site similar to the, the hobby train site that you mentioned earlier that Ian owned. That was a business where it had a recurring product. It's an evergreen niche. The content never changes. So that's something that bumps a multiple. I, I think Ian got two and a half times yearly for that. What's the biggest multiple that, you've got? Um, for a site that's got enough size to be relevant, about three and a half. Um, and that was a forum. Forums tend to be popular and go for pretty high multiples. Products that are recurring do really well. So anything where you've got people pay month after month, assuming the churn rate, so the rate that people drop out isn't too high. Um, so they can go nearer the high, higher end. Um, yeah, so the product is very important. So if it's an evergreen product like a hobby niche or so, so something like gardening or garden sheds, so really boring niches tend to go for solid multiples. And then the, the, the more erratic niches like internet marketing, Forex is another infamous one. You're looking at a far lower multiple. Um, so, I mean, there are really lots and lots of variables that go in there. But I always start from, start from a base of two times and then add or subtract based on the variables that are in place. So you might have a business that's got, it might be really passive. So you, I might bump it up to two and a half times in my head. But then it might have an issue that's quite seasonal. So I might bump it back down to two. Or you could have a business that's really seasonal. So I might knock it down to one and a half. And then it might have some potential trademark issues. So it might go down to one. So it, it, again, it's I'm not particularly scientific with my valuations. A lot of it's just done on experience and past transactions but i like to start with a base number that i would quote as a general valuation and then go from there okay that's a that's a pretty good wrap up on valuation so if we are looking to sell a site and let's not even talk about necessarily using a broker but obviously these are brokering techniques how do you advise people nowadays to sell a site both with and without a broker like which sites do you recommend they go to? And I'd love to so, dig into your prospectus a little bit too and like what things you put in there. Like is, is Just to clarify the question, would the order be, okay, I've decided to sell my site. I need to collect my data. I need to fill out a prospectus, uh, assuming we're not using a broker, and then go and post a bunch of notices on a bunch of websites and see if that works? Yeah, so the first thing you need to do, like Riley point out, is start getting your documentation together. And this is something that if anyone listening is planning to sell their business in the next six or 12 months, don't, don't think about it last minute. It's a mistake that a lot of people make. They, don't, they say, oh, I was never thinking about selling, so I never bothered tracking the income. If you've got a portfolio of sites, make sure you track the income and make sure it's very transparent. Same goes for traffic. Most people use Google Analytics. I, there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there, but I still think it's the best product out there for traffic tracking. So assume you've got all that. Well, what's you want to get that? all your. Do what, what do you What do you have? What's in the What's the What do we, you want? Google Analytics for traffic. You want. Yeah, so you want your traffic verification and your income verification. So if you've got a ClickBank product, 
you you want to get go into your ClickBank account. If you've got a product that sells via a merchant account, you want your merchant account statements. If you've got a product that sells by PayPal, you've got PayPal. If you've got a site that earns through AdSense, then you've got your AdSense income broken down by channels. So you want to get all your verification together. And I always say to people, it's a lot better to get more than you need. So there's no such thing as too much detail when it comes to verification. So put as much as you can together. Um, valuation, again, that's a difficult thing. So if you're going through a broker, obviously the broker will do the valuation for you. If you are selling it yourself, this is where it becomes quite difficult. So you could use my um, valuation starting at two times. I mean, two times is generally a good rule of thumb. But one thing you can do is if you go onto Flipper, which is the, the biggest public marketplace out there for selling sites. And if you look at sites that have sold, I think they've got a tab called Just Sold or Recently Ended, last time I checked. If you go in there, you can then filter. So you would then filter listings and find a listing that's as close as possible to your site in niche, size, um, income. So if you've got, for example, you might have a e-commerce store that sells footballs. So you would go onto Flipper and you'd find, you would search football sites. And if you can't find a site that sells footballs, find something close. So sporting goods. You can then narrow it down by that. And then you want to narrow it down by e-commerce. And then once you've got, once you've got a few deals with a bit of data, you can then look at the multiples they've been selling for. So you might find that there were two sites that sold in that niche. One sold for two times and one sold for two and a half times income. So you might then find that you can list it for two and a half. But I mean, this is one thing that a lot of people, a lot of people advise, and I think this is not very good advice, that if you're thinking about selling your business, that you can just list it at any price and see what people offer. But you, you find that serious buyers will always be alienated if you just have really unrealistic pricing expectations. So it's not a good idea just to list something for 10 times net income and hoping you get lucky because you're just going to alienate the people who really do know thing. And the people who the people who actually will be interested are usually just time wasters um, or tire kickers or whatever you want to call them. Um, so get your documentation together. Get a number that you think it can sell for based on what you've seen and also what you what you're comfortable with and if what you're comfortable with and what is realistic is quite a long way apart then you really need to reconsider and that kind of goes back to part of my job as a broker is a lot of my time is spent saying no to people a lot of people say look i want this amount and i'll say well it's worth that and the difference will just be too much it's just a a no-go um so get some realistic expectations prepare a prospectus which we can go into a little bit more detail later so an overview of the business traffic income what you do to run it what you do to grow it what it requires to maintain it what you're including in the sales really important um, so once you've done that I, I would advise for most sites if it's worth less than a hundred thousand dollars and you assume you don't want to go with a broker then Flipper's probably your best bet. Um, Flipper have got a new listing process, actually, that's quite intuitive. You can go through the, the process. They've got a, a guide on there that I actually helped them wrote, and I think it, it walks you through the Flipper process and how to like prepare an auction properly. It's a free download, so have a look at that. It kind of gives you best practices. Um, See, so it's important to be transparent, but not too transparent. The worst thing, you, the last thing you want to do is give all of your information away publicly. I like to qualify buyers before I give too much away. So you might want to give them an overview of the income, but you don't necessarily want to email everyone in the world your bank statements. Um, so it's important to be transparent. Prepare, I mean, preparing the listing. This is, I mean, Flipper, you get a lot of people who just write really strong sales copy. And when I first started out, a lot of it would be, how much can you hype up the $200 site? But when you're selling on the higher end, I've always found that sales copy becomes slightly less effective. So if you're selling a $100,000 business, it's highly unlikely that with some 
um, good sales copy you're you're going to sell it to an, an investor when they didn't really want to buy it in the first place. Um, just write out a, li- a, li- a listing. Be very clear so an overview of the business, what you do to run it, um, what you do to grow it, what you're including in the sale, your income, and, and where the income comes from as well is important. And if you've got a product, explain the suppliers. Obviously, don't tell them the supplier, but say you, you might have a contract with a supplier and how that works. Same for traffic. The traffic something that a lot of people um, are, are misleading with. So it's not necessarily that they lie about how much traffic they're getting. Because obviously with Google Analytics, you can verify that. You can go into the account. But people underestimate how much time they spend. So some people might spend 20 hours a week doing SEO out there link building, but just won't mention it. So it's very important that you're honest. And and to be honest, if you're not, you might get away with it. But in the long run, it's going to catch up with you. And most people, especially experienced buyers, they're going to see right through it. If they can see... Um, that you're building lots of links on a daily basis, then it's going to be quite obvious that you're not spending 20 minutes a week like they claim. Um, and that's another thing. How much time do you spend running the business? That, I would say, is probably the most lied about question. Even even from a broker, if I ask someone, people always lie about it. Um, my rule of thumb in-house, again, it's not particularly scientific, but whatever whatever amount someone says they take running a business, double that and assume that's more accurate. So if they say five hours a week, assume ten hours a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if you are going to list how much time you spend on the business, if you break down the tasks, it's a little bit more believable. So if you say I spend five hours a week, you might say I spend two hours responding to clients, I spend... Um, an hour looking for new clients, and then I spend two hours doing the books. Um, and then from there, if you're using Flipper, just go through the process. Put set a, I always set a buy it now number, which is the valuation you've come up with. And if at this stage you want to make it a little bit higher, so if you think it's worth two times net income from the research you've done, maybe put it on for two and a half times. And while you don't necessarily expect to get that higher number, I always like to list it a little bit higher just so I've got a little bit of room to negotiate. Um, but the worst thing you want to do is be listing it for 40000 with 40000 being the lowest you want to take because then you've just got no room to negotiate. Um, set a reasonable reserve. And, and the other thing that a lot of people forget about and a lot of people buy courses on selling sites and then they wonder why they haven't sold is communication is so important you need to answer questions promptly honestly um if people want to talk on the phone get on the phone if you're not so confident on the phone then maybe speak to them on skype or um an instant messaging program or whatever um but communicate answer questions honestly um which is very important a lot of people completely forget about that you you might someone might post a comment and they might respond four days later um, and that doesn't look good. And while you might be a really busy person, obviously lots of people are busy, it's really important you at least show that you're interested in making the sale. Um, so, I mean, that that would be a general overview of how I would sell. Obviously, there's a lot more to it than that, but right. that would be a, a you, solid overview. Then thank you for that. That was wonderfully detailed. One thing you didn't mention, though, is outside of Flipper, where else can we go to sell websites? Ooh, I mean, there are other marketplaces out there um i would say to be honest if you've got a site like i said under a hundred thousand then um flippers your best bet i i don't even bother listing elsewhere just because there's not as much exposure people complain about flipper i mean flipper does have its shortcomings it is quite expensive i mean you pay for a premium listings 250 dollars and then you pay a five percent success fee up to two thousand dollars so it, it it can be quite quite expensive and people that's why people are always tempted to search out they're like oh you can list on warrior forum or digital point which is true and it might be cheaper but your exposure to buyers is a lot lower and similar to you were saying earlier about hiring a broker you'd expect to make more by hiring a broker 
it's the same with if you skimp and go list your site on say digital point for example which is a good example of a of a site with lots of traffic and lots of buyers but the prices really are rock bottom you might think oh i've just saved saved 250 dollars or 29 dollars depending what option you choose on flipper listing on digital point but your ten thousand dollar site might sell for five thousand so while you might have spent less up front you've actually ended up losing quite a lot of money on the back end um so yeah flipper really is the most viable option depending on the size of your business there's also um some business marketplaces which are probably more more widely used by brokers and it's really more suitable for businesses that are in the six seven even eight figure range and that would be so sites like biz buy sell that's b-i-z buy sell.com um biz quest b-i-z quest um they're good they're good options for slightly larger sites um but beyond that i mean there's lots of flipper clones flipper competitors wannabe competitors um and while i personally would love to see some competition in the industry being perfectly honest and realistic flipper really is the best place to sell it is is quite expensive but if you're not willing to invest up front then you can't really have high hopes yourself it's a bit like ebay ebay's corner of the market and flipper's sort of corner of the market for for website flipping um <clears throat> one question i do have though would it make sense or is this a stupid idea to yes list on flipper but why not copy and paste the listing on every other site you can find to increase your exposure assuming it doesn't cost too much that used to be one of my old tricks is i used to do that and then you would list it in lots of different places but i, I think i'm not a thousand percent sure but i think flipper require exclusivity so if you list on flipper you're not allowed to list it elsewhere um so what, what you can do though is if if you are looking on a forum and someone says, oh, I want to buy, let's say you're selling the, the my made-up example of a site that sells footballs, and someone says, oh, I want to buy a, a, a site related to sports, here's my budget, then you can always just send them a message and say, oh, here's a listing on Flippy you might like. Um, so while you can't, you're not supposed to just copy and paste a listing elsewhere, and I know forums like Digital Point don't allow you to... Um, link elsewhere you can there's no reason why you can't direct people to your flipper listing um inappropriate places really you can't just go and create a new thread and say hey check out my flipper listing yeah i mean first thing you want to do i mean selling a business or a website whatever you want to call it is is all about trust so the last thing you want to do is be seen spamming your listing everywhere and while you might be getting more exposure and more traffic to that listing it's not necessarily there's one thing getting traffic to a listing and there's another thing getting qualified buyers to a listing. So you could have, someone could list a site and have a thousand different buyers looking at it, or I could list a site and maybe have a hundred buyers, but those a hundred buyers might all be regular investors who know what they're doing. And those thousand people might be people who've read an ebook on site flipping and they've got $50 in the bank. So they might look at the site, but they're never actually going to buy it. Um, yeah, while, while it's good to get extra exposure, you want to get right exposure. Oh, well, let's say I've got a website worth about fifty grand, so it's it's above your twenty grand target, um, but below your sort of a hundred thousand qualification to list on Flipper. So you're recommending to use Flipper for that sort of site. My site's worth fifty. Should I go to a broker, or should I just you know go fill out the process in Flipper? Yeah, one thing I would say, especially when it comes to a broker, is Unlike Flipper, there's no upfront cost. So, although with brokers, they would ask for exclusivity, but it's at least worth chatting to a few brokers and seeing what they say. You might find, so for example, with my business, we've got quite a few buyers on the books who buy regularly and I know exactly what they're looking for. So, you might come to me with a certain site and I'll be, so for example, I had a seller who came to me the other day with a coupon blog. Um, it was like free coupons for like products. And I know I've got a buyer who regularly buys coupon sites. And I said to him, um, oh, yeah, I can sell this. I've got a regular buyer. And I called up my buyer and the sale completed in um, a couple of days. So brokers, I mean, obviously, you've got to be able to look through the bullshit or whatever you want to call it. Some brokers are obviously 
to get you on the books are going to overvalue your business. Um, and that's where I would really, if someone values your business above a multiple of, say, two and a half times net, then I would ask them for some proof or verification of deals that have, they've done at that level. Mm. So with a broker, there's, there's two types of brokers out there. There's one that will take on lots and lots of listings by overvaluing getting you to sign a contract and then they'll have a hundred sites listed and then there are brokers who do far fewer listings but they're a lot more realistic with their valuations um but you can you can speak to a broker for your fifty thousand site and the, and the worst that's going to happen is you're going to speak to me and i'm going to say um sorry i'm not interested or sorry i only think it's worth thirty thousand um or oh i think this might take a bit of time to sell and then you're well within your rights to go elsewhere. But I mean, one thing to note with a broker, if you do work with a broker, any decent broker will ask for exclusivity. And exclusivity, all that means is that if you, so let's say you decided to sell a site through me, you'd sign up and we would agree a fee. And exclusivity period is the length of time that I can market the business for and get paid if it sells. Um, so obviously from a broker's perspective, we don't get paid anything up front. So we only get paid if the business sells. So the last thing I want to do is spend a week preparing a prospectus for a business, sending it out to my buyers, and then one of my clients listing the site on Flipper saying, oh, I've got an offer. Thanks, Thomas, but I've just sold it. Um, so that's why brokers have exclusivity. Mm. Uh, so there is a bit of commitment there. But, I mean, with a broker, there is nothing to lose cost-wise. You obviously only pay them if it sells, they can't force you to sell. Um, and I would say with a broker, it's worth definitely at least speaking to one because they're going to give you an honest valuation of what it's worth. I mean, the nature of the industry, because I only get paid if I sell a business, there's no incentive for me lying about what it's mm. worth. What What if you take on a client and then list it on Flipper, but it doesn't sell? Do you absorb the Flipper fee or do, does the client sort of, should they expect to have some sort of costs? We don't use Flipper very often. I, I can't give you an exact percentage of deals that got on there, but maybe 10% of deals. But if we do use Flipper, we pay for it ourselves. So if it doesn't sell, then I would pay for that myself. Okay. I would personally, if you're looking at maybe a slightly smaller broker who's starting out, they'll probably ask you for costs. But I would always say no to that. I would never... At the end of the day, if you're approaching a broker, you're not paying someone to list it on Flipper. I might use Flipper one of my sales like sales places but I mean that's my marketing cost you're paying me to sell your business so you're not paying me to list your business mm -hmm. um, yeah brokers would and that's the other reason you ask for exclusivity as a broker it's there's upfront costs in listing a business marketing it contacting people etc okay um, Thomas, I think it's a great time for us to say how to get in touch with you if they do want to ask you for an opinion on their site and getting, uh, you know, starting a conversation with you about potentially using you as a broker. So where should they go? Yeah, so, I mean, I think you mentioned earlier, our, our main website is flippingenterprises.com. If you go there, you can see we've got a, a buyer list you can sign up to. So if you're interested to have a look, um, we have a listings page which has our current listings and a, a lot of sold listings on there. Um, and I, I would say with that, it, it, get on the list because we sell a lot of sites that never even get listed because we have, like I said, we have buyers who um, buy regularly. So quite often I'll be able to match a buyer and sell it before it even gets listed. Um, and then we've got a form on there which you can fill out, which is quite detailed. So details about the site and it's completely no obligation. Fill it out. I'll either me or one of my team, so probably be Ismail or Ryan, will get back to you with a few questions and then give you a valuation. Um, if you want to email me directly, my email is thomas at flippyenterprises.com. Um, but I mean, yeah, if you go on the site, there's a section for buyers. There's a section of our listings. Um, there's a form you can fill out for if you want to set a business. There's also... Um, a support email on there so if you want to if you don't remember my email thomas at flippyenterprises.com then you can fill out a general question i'm i mean i'm i'm busy but i'm usually quite happy to answer questions and if you said you 
you listen to this podcast, then I'm more than happy to answer um, questions. We we as soon as possible in that respect. Okay, awesome. Uh, it's been a bit of an epic <laughs> interview. We've already gone over an hour, so uh, I think it's a good time to wrap it up, Thomas. Thank you for being as detailed as you have been. It, it's obviously a subject we could talk about for probably three or four hours because there's information in the prospectus, there's information on valuation, there's information on doing the negotiation, the transfer. We, we didn't even touch about actually transferring a website from one person to the other and how that happens or transferring the money from one person to the other and how that happens. So there's lots of layers to this, which sites to sell on. Um, go to your information, go to you, I think, to get some answers to those questions. If you have a site, like we should probably preface this and say you don't want people who've got a website that's making 100 bucks a month coming to you for brokerage advice. It's just not really worth your time. So 10000 was your sort of your your lower limit and to to figure out whether your site's worth that, roughly five hundred dollars a month in profit is needed to value a site at ten thousand dollars, correct? Okay. Thomas, thank you for taking the time to do this. Uh got a great business going there, a great service, and I can tell you really know what you're talking about. So I appreciate you sharing your knowledge with everyone listening in today. Thank you. So much. I appreciate your your time. And hopefully um some people will find that helpful. I'm sure they will. So, And good luck, Thomas, with uh, everything you're doing in the future. Thank you very much. You too. Have a good one. And thank you for listening in to the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. Uh, you know where to go to find all the other episodes. Just head to my blog, entrepreneurs-journey.com, or Google my name, which is Yaro, Y-A-R-O. And I'll catch you in another interview very soon. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>